This is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Of One Blood, which is Pauline Hopkins' 1902 to 1903 magazine novel about mesmerism, race, uh, being super normal about your sister, and the secret African kingdom of Telesar. So why Of One Blood, Katie? Well, the main reason I wanted to read this was because uh, of the story I've already told in this podcast that really stuck with me when a kid in my 11th grade history class wore a shirt that said, got a sister. Um, (laughs) 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 And that's all I'll say on that for the moment. I'm sure we'll get into that much more, but I didn't want to do enough drugs to take me to the places that this book will take you to. You realize that um, time is not just a flat circle, but an infinite series of discs that make up the universe because it will just explode your mind with wonder. It's the greatest novel that Herman Melville didn't write. Um, (laughs) it, It has everything you'd want in a book. If what you want is to never be surprised by any revelation except for the very last one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's something for it. In terms of the dork-ass nerd shit that we all know and love, this book is full of mesmerism. And it's one of my favorite topics of all time. Uh, to put in terms, Tristan, that you'll understand. I love to set sail on a sea of ectoplasm <laughs> with only animal <laughs> magnetism to guide my compass. Yes, indeed. Um, the, uh, the animal ethers and whatnot. Yes. 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 True north. <laughs> <laughs> the, the odic fluid points you right there. <laughs> yeah. And automatic writing. It's very efficient. Uh, this is what Andrew Yang was warning us was coming. Um, <laughs> Automation. Yeah. yeah. There's good melodramatic eyeball fucking and like some cool shit about science. Science question mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the 19th century doctoring business and the supernatural. And it's just, it's all this stuff. And it's also about race in America, religion, coercion, consent, uh, medicine, the legacy of slavery, origins, treasure hunting, and blasting a leopard's ass before you blast your sister's ass, but in two very (laughs) different ways. Sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Also a little the same ways. Yeah. Some of some similarities. Yes. Um, It it does. It did definitely feel like about five separate novels happening at once, which is crazy because it's only like 190 pages. (laughs) Connected only by slapstick mania and the promise that this is a magazine novel. So you'll figure it out next week. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, for sure. I first read this book in grad school and a class. I think, Katie, you were in that class, right? Sure was. I was in my very fancy fourth year of graduate school, so I had passed my exam. I felt like finally I am in a class where I feel kind of comfortable. I can talk. This is not a nightmare. And then we read this book and I was like, I am no, I am not a human. I'm certainly not a smart human. I am back in amoeba town (laughs) knowing absolutely nothing and how did I get here? How? How did I get here in a perfectly t- ordinary room with 14 other people also with little question marks over their heads? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I got there. But at least by my fourth year, I knew that anyone who was speaking with any uh, confidence whatsoever was bullshit. So mm-hmm. it was fine. Yeah. 
that was also a class where somebody asked me if I had read Camera Lucida and I had to rip him a new asshole. Um, <laughs> truly a story for another time. That person was me. Uh, no, it wasn't. Just- <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Although you and I did occasionally look at each other like, <laughs> there were some glances. <laughs> yeah. I loved it at the time. I still was like, what? 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 <laughs> Especially because I had recently read like a number of African American women's novels from the late 19th century, and they are not mostly like this. They usually traffic in a lot of domestic questions, a lot about like interiority and women's psychology and sort of like the thorny questions of respectability. Like, this is not a typical novel for that moment. I've never read any novel quite like this, I have to say. I mean, I've read a lot of different novels that are like parts of this, but all is the same thing. No, this is (laughs) this is wild. This is like truly, I mean, Hagar's daughter is different. Like, this is a, a lovely artifact. Yeah. And I loved it even more this time. Okay, so I like it how it actually has these moments of like really deep thinking, like really interesting shit. Like we know that geopolitically, e- Egypt is not a colony. It's like a rare place in the world um, that doesn't in the contemporary in the modern world have that legacy. And so it's except for the Italians in the 30s, but they haven't happened yet. So that's a that's a question, right? So it's in no, I mean, it, yeah, because we're in, we're in Egypt, but also also Ethiopian, yeah. I mean, Ethiopia also like resisted until the until yeah the Italians in the nineteen thirties, um, yeah, sort of it's being brought into European empires, yeah. And so for Ho- for Hopkins, that has not happened yet, right? So she's like, she's in this really interesting moment in terms of like colonization, mm-hmm. and she's clearly concerned with that. So it has this, right? It has this thought. It's a real, really interesting sort of thorny thing. Mm-hmm. And then it has this like wacky ass bananas crap where they like try to reanimate a dead lady by rubbing her arms and doing like the Monty Python dead parrot sketch. <laughs> hey, they didn't just try. You know? <laughs> hey, Diane lost just rested her eyes is all guff. She's she's tucking out after a long <laughs> squawk and pining for the fuel. <laughs> she's pushing up the daisies. Yeah. Okay, that's it. That's enough. We're not done. I'm not doing John Cleese ever again. <laughs> but that's what happens in the book. And uh also this book is not only into my favorite thing, which is surprise. You love your sister in the underpants way. <laughs> it also is into describing hot men at length. Like every man is described, like all of his facial features and his broad shoulders and his huge ass and his magnificent eyebrows and everything about him. And I love that. And it's <laughs> you're like fiction. over there getting horny with daguerreotypes. <laughs> oh, for sure. Daguerreotypes are very horny. I do have to to, to, to support that. <laughs> I mean, that's how we know that William James is hot, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And by hot, I mean slightly creepy in a hot way. <laughs> Although, no, that's probably silver colloid. That's probably silver plate. Never mind. Sorry, I do actually know my history of photography. Believe it or not. <laughs> and I do like the magazine fiction, which always makes me think about what the readers like. To be continued reactions were like, because there are parts here where it transitions and I'm just like, oh, she's dead. Excuse me. Yeah. 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 And okay. 
that's how that goes. And it also makes me think of how novels are the television of the olden times and television is the novels of the now in times and don't read books. Yeah. This definitely could be um, one of the, well, they used to call them like five years ago, prestige dramas, but one of the stream, the many, many, many streaming service like drama series. Yeah, this, yeah, someone should do that. It would be wild. Except we'd still be like, what in the fuckity fuck is going (laughs) on? Yeah, 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 for sure. No, I mean, what would the budget be? How would any of it happen? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, How would it not seem like a straight up knockoff of Black Panther? Yeah, well, that yeah. was I actually was as I was reading this wondering if um, I and I know I know you go to that in the notes of Megan, but like w- did, the yeah, the, the people who wrote Black Panther was was this at all bouncing around in, like their minds at all? Because there are ways in which Telesar is described that I'm like, oh, this feels very kind of Wakanda. Yeah, you know, but I don't know. Maybe, sure maybe. love their royalty in both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I wanted to read this for, uh, well, one, you guys both said it's a good time. And for largely the same reasons you do, um, I do love Crazy Pants 19th century medicine. Like, I've, I think I've said it on this show, and actually, this is a friend of mine many years ago, I had this observation that 19th century medicine, they know just enough to sound like they know what they're talking about, but it's still insane. In the 18th century, it's still like, leeches, let the blood. And in the 19th century, it's like, <clears throat> Patient presents with acute apoplexy of the ethereal fluid. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sensitivity to animal vapors is noted. Yeah, anyway. But yeah, we've got animal magnetism, uh, like mesmerism, ether, life force all over the place. This novel is fucking out there in the best of ways. Yeah, at its heart, there is this extremely important critique of white supremacism and 19th century race science, which is one of the key ideological pillars of support of white supremacism, certainly during that era. And I mean, I think very, you know, very much continuing on. Hopkins just follows all these different paths to get to that critique. She goes her own many directions. She goes she follows own... all the trails. Yeah. All the chem trails. Yeah. No, she, do- of, yeah, she does. I mean, so like on the one hand, we're talking about like anthropology and archaeology. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I get what you say to this. Like, holy shit. But now we're ta- doing like seances and hypnosis and mesmerism. And, uh, you, you know, like I just have no clue what to do with that stuff. The hypnosis, mesmerism, 19th century culture aspect. Uh, why does Dianthe keep dying and losing all her memory and then getting back and dying again? I don't really understand what that's doing to the plot. I have visions of my mommy. Who knows why? For some yeah, it's, is yeah. it my mother? Is Are you my mother? Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun. There's also only one mysterious woman in the entire universe, and it's her. Anytime yeah. there's a mystery <laughs> yeah. around a woman, you can bet your ass she's about to appear. Yeah. yeah, well, right, and I'm like, I'm sure, like, we could get to something about, like, you know, sort of like that, like origins or like, you know, what, like, what's taken, you know, under kind of, you know, the, the sort of racist state and all that. But it, it's just, it feels again like a very different novel than some of the other stuff, like. You know, right. So, like, there's this Doctor Frankenstein plot running through that with with the with Doctor Briggs, but but not only is Doctor Briggs Doctor Frankenstein, except somewhat less fail sunny. He's also Indiana Jones, except yep. Indiana Jones as an anti-colonialist who also turns out is this long prophesied heir to an East African throne. Wow, like <laughs> uh, he's a there sexy is- heir. 
Yeah, oh, so true. the sex, yes, the very sexy heir to the to, to an East African throne. We've noted incest, which you know the podcast has definitely adopted Megan's line on that. That that is the primary problem of the American novel. You know, um, I really think that that if if I leave nothing else behind, that is plenty. It that and the um, importance of the feckless boob to literature, I do feel like are our <laughs> two main critical interventions of the podcast. But, Good um, for us, but yeah, there's just so much in here. It is very often incoherent, but in a way that convinces me, it's working through a lot of ideological problems in really interesting and creative ways. And yeah, I'm glad we get to read it, and I can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah, it's so good and so news. So today we're talking about the incest question and family more broadly about science and is this science and mesmerism and racial projects and racial ideologies. Yeah, Katie, take it away. Tell us what happens. Okay, I'm going to tell you what happens, but you can't get mad at me if you don't understand (laughs) because it's not my fault. It's just telling you what's in the book. It's just how, how it is. So we open. It's a dark and stormy night. Snoopy's at the fucking uh, typewriter, and we meet Ruel Briggs, a medical student in Boston, whose main concern is being Bill Nye, the science guy of mesmerism, and his other hobby. He also goes to a university in Massachusetts. You know, a university in Massachusetts. You know, near Boston. His other his other interests are uh, moping sadly in the rain and nibbling bread crusts and pensive silence while thinking about learning. He's very much in the vein, as Tristan said, of noted cool guy Victor Frankenstein. Uh, he's pretty sure he could bring a dead guy back to life through mesmeric influence. So we'll hear more about this later. Briggs has this obnoxious rich friend named Aubrey Livingston. I presume. Yes, we all do. He presumes many things himself. Um, He. And I feel like he has stupid hair. Yeah, he's got stupid hair, yeah. He does have stupid hair and stupid attitudes about, uh, oh, a great number of things. But he invites Briggs to this Jubilee concert that the Fisk University singers are giving at Tremont Temple. So, what you have to know before before is that Briggs has gotten a vision. A vision, you say? A vision of what? A vision of a face. Oh, guess what happens when he goes to the concert? The vision of that face is the beautiful singer, Diane Lusk, who everyone is totally hubba hubba about. That's the face. And the beautiful singing comes out of it. She is a black woman who is white passing. And this is... um something that gets identified early in the novel when um, we go to to meet her at the concert. Briggs is very into her and her beautiful singing. We then sort of smash cut to a different group of rich assholes in Boston. They're not major assholes, but it's just sort of ding-dongs. One of them's Charlie Vance, who's so hot, everyone calls him Adonis. Adonis. (laughs) Which is just like... (laughs) The novel is super into that nickname. It's like even kind of eye rolling itself, itself. Like it keeps putting Adonis in quotation marks. Like that's not really his name. It's a nickname, but you get it. Like it's like, yes, yes, we got it. As he's, he's always looking sexy on various couches, just kind of splayed out as the sexy do. And he's got a sister. He's got a sister. 
Molly Vance, and they want to have spooky haunted house times. Briggs is very down for this. They do a little contest regarding the haunted house. He goes in. He sees a vision. He sees like several visions there, but one of them is of Dianthe, and he he hears her. Uh, There's like some hearing things and some some seeing things. And then he gets a call late one night to come to the hospital for a dead lady. There's an accident, a train. Oh, no. She can't do a transition, old Pauline Hopkins. She's just like, and then we're and a new thing. It was yeah. cr- it was Halloween and there was a train accident. Very very 19th century magazine melodrama for sure. Like, tra- fuck the transition, the, the week-long break or month-long break. That's your transition right there. You know? <laughs> it's, it's just an episode of Melrose Place. We're all just waiting for next week. Yeah, yeah. being in a coma is a transition for her, I guess. And uh, so anyway, guess who the dead lady is? Oh, it's Dianthe Lusk. It, no. She's... But luckily, Briggs is here to save the day because everyone has poked her and made sure she's definitely dead. They're like, rigor mortis is setting in. She is dead. She's so dead. She's <laughs> as dead as a dead person is dead. And he's like, no, I have a potion that I mixed up. I made a bunch of salts and I can raise people from death or, quote, seeming death. So he's not over promising here. <laughs> um, and he's like, Listen, if I can do it to frogs, I can do it to human women. Exactly. He's like, you know how much weird shit I've done to dogs, frogs, other animals? I can definitely like I can take this one home. And then he waves his hands. Or he sprinkles the salt. I, It's the the details are unclear, but um, it works. But when Dianthe wakes up, she doesn't remember any of her old life, who she is. She can't sing anymore. And uh, it said she's in a dual mesmeric trance, which is like unusual. But anyway, she goes home to the Vances. And this is because the sister Molly, who is who's kind of dating uh, Aubrey Livingston, really wants to wants her to come home with them. And uh, Briggs also falls in love with her, obviously, because that's how it goes. If you once you've laid eyes on once you've laid eyes on the beautiful singer, you're going to want to marry her, regardless of how she may or may not be related to you. Uh, (laughs) And we find a little more about Briggs, too. His father was a plantation owner and used to mesmerize an enslaved maid who at one point makes this prophecy to a bunch of Confederate assholes who are over for dinner. And she's like. Do I really have to say what's going to happen? And she's like, okay, well, if if I must, you're all going to die and not in the way that everyone is. You in particular, especially, are going to die and it's not going to be nice. And she turns out she, everything she said is right. And there's a – if I can go back just half a second. Yeah. Like in the, I think third or fourth page of the book. Peyton is like racially and ethnically ambiguous from the beginning. So it's like he has no relatives. He has no family. And people are like, is he Italian? Is he Japanese? Is he like – so there, there's all this like subterfuge about his sort of race. Um, and so this is a revelatory moment even though it's like – like Hopkins doesn't always hit the moments you expect her to. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a strange reveal and even more so – when you get farther yeah that particular element but then back to his present he's starting to really think about uh like dianthe's kind of getting her 
she's not getting her memory back, but she's can kind of walk around listlessly, sort of. She regains the ability to sing for some reason. And like later things sort of come back to her like snippets of stuff. But he but uh, Briggs is concerned. He wants to marry her. And Livingston is like, everyone's going to know if you you're you're marrying a black woman. And there's this moment between them where Livingston says he's always known that Briggs is is black. Like he says he's he's always known, but apparent like nobody else knows, but he has always he's always known somehow. Yeah, um, it's about is, the trace, likely story. Well, yeah, no, I was going to say that 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 is like it's easy to almost like kind of skip over that because it's it's so sort of like abrupt and it's not really explained like well wait why does he have this knowledge and then i mean katie you're going to get to like how we maybe can start to fill some of that in but you're right it is almost like this like preternatural like sense of like the although it's it, then what we learned about livingston later is interesting uh, in that regard. and if we've been reading a lot of stuff from this moment the only two possibilities of the people who could know this are people who are themselves secretly black or people who are so aristo that yeah. they have the secret capacity to note the trace. This will all come back later. <laughs> but anyway, back to back to Livingston. Briggs goes to him and says, I really want to get married, but I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. And how am I supposed to keep the lady to the manner to which she has become accustomed? And Livingston says, I have great news for you because of happy wife, happy life. And um, she's, yeah, you're right. She's not going to be happy unless she can buy everything she sees on late night TV. So what you should do is take this incredible position I have. And I almost didn't offer it to you at first because you'd have to be away. <laughs> but I have this incredible opportunity for you to grow on an amazing team in the treasure hunting gig economy. <laughs> All you have to do is go to Ethiopia. Finally. Where there is a pyramid for some coincidental reason entirely. There's a pyramid. It's there may be MLM. There may be There's a pyramid. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It's a shape. You know, people do what they will with, with uh geometry. Yeah. And uh, I can this, make no other comments. Was this on the Krasenstein's like review of, of MLM? Wasn't that their business thing before they became Twitter stars that they like reviewed the, the best multi-level marketing scheme for you to get involved in? <laughs> <laughs> Did and not the know that. All of them. Uh, okay, so you gotta go to maybe the you'll maybe you'll find treasure, maybe you won't, yada yada. All right, look, I got to sprint to the finish line here because there is so much else that happens. And <laughs> this is a, yeah. it's only so long people can be expected to listen to a podcast. Briggs is in Ethiopia. But at this point, Livingston becomes Mr. Steal Your Wife because he mesmerizes Dianthe. If you can, whoever, whoever smelt the mesmerism dealt the mesmerism <laughs> or might potentially be able to. And he says to her, hey, listen, I can tell what race people are by looking at them. I'm very cool. I say cool things like that all the time. So, you know, I'm a good guy. He tells Dianthe that she's that she is a black woman and that and lies about whether Briggs knows it. He does. He, he does know. But he's like, she, he doesn't know and I don't care. So you should be with me. And also, P.S. He's dead. Maybe we never know. But she had known this until she was dead and reanimated, at which point she did not have any memory of her previous self, right? Correct. 
that's the whole she knocked her noggin and lost all her memory thing. We never find out how. But anyway, then we're back in Ethiopia and Briggs is faithfully writing all these letters. Not a lot coming back. Suspiciously not a lot coming back. But good thing Jim's on the expedition. Yes, Jim Vance, the familiar character of the formerly enslaved person who is still like super deferential and um, everyone thinks he's like a he's got to be like a nice guy. But there's uh, some suspicious matters around uh this gentleman and speaking of suspicious matters tragedy strikes there's been a boat accident molly vance and diane lusk are both drowned livingston has climbed back to shore yeah in a moonlight canoeing accident which uh you have to wear a life vest when you're moonlight canoeing (laughs) with with your girlfriend and some other lady yeah yeah it also to. never makes it seem like you're out to kill anybody when you row a lady out into the middle of a lake. Yeah, yeah. If you're just like hanging out at like you know eleven o'clock at night, and someone's like, "Let's go canoeing," that person probably wants to kill you. Yeah, you want to combine water and darkness and just kind of see where the <laughs> night ends up. <laughs> um, the the tragedy, tragedy. Briggs thinks Dianthe is dead. Uh, becomes extremely sad. He wanders about. He almost gets killed by a big cat. And he, <laughs> but then uh, Charlie slash Adonis uh, saves the day by throwing a gun over a wall to him so he can <laughs> yes. blow his head off. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Jim, who's a light sleeper, couldn't hear any of his screams, though. Weird. Yeah. We've got wandering, wandering, sad man wandering. Briggs takes his gun and goes into ancient pyramid tunnels, hoping he's just going to get lost, which is weird if you're like, (laughs) just like, I want to, I want to just be, I can't, I can't bear this world. The simplest plan will be for me to get lost in a system of tunnels. That's what he'll do. Has only, all I can understand is that he hasn't read the book. So he hasn't seen what we have all seen foreseen having read it which is that this is about to be a portal <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we're about yeah. to be in portal yeah tunnels he's in tunnels uh and not the fucking song about tunnels that everyone in 2004 was listening to it's a different tunnel and he is found by ie who is this guy in a long white rope and he tells him that he is the king of an ancient an ancient nation that has advanced far beyond what the outside world knows. He tells him, he says, listen, Briggs, you're the king, my friend. Um, <laughs> it's not Black Panther at all. No, you no wouldn't, not at all. No, not, not, I, don't, no I don't know why here. I kept thinking that as I was reading. Yeah. The Secret King, yeah. Um, it's much smarter than that movie. <laughs> well, they can't. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, Pauline Hopkins, is no contest. Um, That's true. You're grabbing right. But they have virgin queens who are all named Candace. Um, <laughs> they're all named Candace. So, like the girl from Full House, who's a woman now. Uh, cool mirrors where you can see the past and the dead and live people in the present, but it takes, like, you have to buff it with an extra thing. <laughs> you gotta gotta schmutz the mirror so you can see the present yeah Yeah. and then you gotta scrape off the schmutz and get real nervous (laughs) true 
Um, long story short, they do the whole mirror trick and uh, Dianthe's not dead. He sees her with uh, a vision of her smooching Aubrey. And it's unclear the context, so we don't know what the deal is here. But we know, but we actually do know because we're cutting back and forth from her to him in, e- in Ethiopia. And uh, eventually, Dianthe is calls it Briggs for help supernaturally. Uh, she's like, help! And, he, and then he keeps waking up like, who did anybody else hear that scream? I gotta find it. So I swear I'm stone cold sober, but there's also this ghost named Mira who facilitates automatic writing on Bibles and is just appearing left and right throughout the whole thing. We'll learn more about her later. And in another one of those like, wow, Hopkins, you're really hitting this hard. Mira is the like romantic language word for to look. Yeah. Mirar in Spanish. But anyway, despairing about being stuck with uh, Aubrey Livingston. Dianthe wanders in the woods. She's found by this formerly enslaved woman who's referred to as a witch, um, Aunt Hannah. And she reveals to her that her daughter, Mira's child, was born the same night as Aubrey's mother's, Aubrey Livingston's mother's child was born dead. So Aunt Hannah it, in order to so she she had 11 kids and this is the only child left to her and so she wants to keep her grandchild so she switches out the babies and it turns out that the switched baby was dianthe so they are brother and sister no, but no. that's not the, all of it part of the way we know this is that because there's a, a telltale lotus birthmark on all of the siblings mm-hmm. because they're the ancient royal family of telesar and Briggs also has the birthmark. It's part of how they knew he was the king. So this lady married two of her brothers yeah. and and talk about of one blood. <laughs> also, officially, as of this scene, Pauline Hopkins has done 41 19th century novels in miniature, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So like, oh, we found this like lady who's a witch in a cabin and is like going to give you the secrets of the universe. And then also we have like, whoopsie, baby swap, like a little bit of put- yeah. Puddinghead Wilson and just like every, the Hearts of Gold is in here. Like every 19th century novel about race, even a little bit, is like, yeah. just put it in, put it in the punch bowl. Yeah. And there's like a little Blythdale romance, I'd argue. Like, I think they, there's every, just, it's just every, it's every yeah. single 19th century knife. There, there's, there's also, I, this is a weird reference. There's also a little bit of 50 first dates in this, in that you can't remember <laughs> yeah, anything. Did, and yet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. not a 19th century novel. Although, I could kind of see that dumbass movie have having been a 19th century yeah. novel. <laughs> yeah. It would be like, it would, oh man, I can think of so many different versions of it, like the melodrama, the serialized, yeah. the serialized, the like, the lightly yeah. comic that's not actually funny. Yeah. Okay. So back to revenge, revenge. We need revenge. Yeah. Dianthe wants it. And she resists for a while, but she decides she's going to poison Aubrey because Briggs has given her, he told her, he alluded to a secret poison you can use to kill someone, and it's very magical and secret. But he discovers Dianthe trying to poison the water like halfway through, so he makes her drink the poisoned water, and then... She wastes away and dies ultimately on her brother husband's breast 
but not before Aunt Hannah, Ruel, Briggs, and um, I think Ie's there too, right? Yeah. To, yeah. 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 To be like, no, don't worry. You can feel free to die because we have this all under control. So she does. Well, has another wife. Yes, but they don't mention that on account of her being Sadet and his sister. <laughs> so, so, but Charlie Adonis also wants revenge because it turns out, and this is <clears throat> no laughing matter, but the way that she describes it is amazing. When the boat tips over, Molly, as his girlfriend, thought that he would save her, but instead he like does a roundhouse mortal combat kiss to her <laughs> and she just like dies like she just just yeah. drowns confusedly and so charlie he wants some revenge and we also find out that this guy is so evil he has some influence over jim vance apparently mesmeric but that's partially why Jim is willing to have Briggs killed for money so he can give it to his sister. So there's like this possible mesmeric influence of Aubrey, possible he just wants money to pay his sister to to give to his sister. Anyway, he dies after being bitten by a bunch of snakes hunting treasure and looking for uh Ruel Briggs. Yeah. Because he was gone for just like two months being king of an ancient city. Anyway, the revenge. We're getting to the end. There's a mesmeric command that's whispered into Aubrey's ear to die by his own hand. It's how all the kings of Telesar, all the royalty, they have to die if they've done murder. So he's found in the water where Molly died. And that's pretty much a wrap. The end of the novel is... Ruel Briggs returned to the hidden city with his faithful subjects and old Aunt Hannah. There he spends his days in teaching his people all that he has learned in years of contact with modern culture. United to Candace, his days glide peacefully by in good works, but the shadows of great sins darken his life, and the memory of past joys is ever with him. He views, too, with serious apprehension the advance of mighty nations penetrating the dark, mysterious forests of his native land. Where will it stop? He sadly questions. What will the end be? And but is that none- just blue balls? Because he's married to a virgin queen. <laughs> is she still a virgin after she's queen? Uh, I thought they did the deed after. Okay, they uh, probably did. It's just like there's. They've mentioned on many occasions like yeah. virgin well, queen he, shit. Well, okay, so here's the thing about the virgin queens. There's one at a time. But then there's a group of people who could be who could become the new Candace. There's right. Candaces in waiting. Right, <laughs> Candaces so, in waiting. A group of a group I, of Candaces. I had um, to say to the that I I don't know. It's like you know 20th century. Uh, although I guess this is said a little bit before before the 20th century. Starting to think that like you know the empires of their 19th century form are starting to unravel, but like, no, like the colonization grab of Africa is happening like now, like contemporaneous yeah. with whether yeah, it's written yeah, yeah. and yeah. really like Africa, that was the kind of last sort of great, uh, 
battlefield as it were where the where the the kind of european powers really scoop stuff up and yeah like i mean as he said as megan said that like yeah i mean mussolini's italy tried to take over ethiopia and somalia so i mean it's it is actually it is like this isn't like this isn't like necessarily well it is the beginnings of kind of post-colonial sort of resistance but this is also like very much part of like a moment where like europe is trying to like grab much of the continent so which is yeah bleak and really kind of interesting way to end this but the way he also after that he basically says like what's going to happen and then says this this incredibly interesting stuff which i won't read all of but he says none but omnipotence can can solve the problem yeah to our human intelligence these truths are horrible but who shall judge the handiwork of god the great craftsman and then just uh everything is it is are but puppets in his hand for his promises stand he, and he will prove his words of one blood i have made all races of men yeah. which comes up a bunch during the novel which is part of why i wanted to get to that ending and also that whole pup the puppet thing right like that's that's important for a lot of reasons and i think we'll talk more about that when we talk about the mesmerism stuff yeah, well, and that's also, I mean, the, so the religion, yeah, the, the 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 kind of appeal to to religion is, uh, and and well, yeah, I mean, this idea of like God and the, the creation of of, of hu- humanity as this sort of unified thing of one blood is 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 interesting. But I mean, that like that is definitely taking like head on um, sort of 19th century, like biological racism theories where it's not like racism was originated at any specific point in in time. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, uh, uh, certainly throughout the history of like European colonization is, 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 is an ongoing thing, but it it does take very different forms. Like, so in the 18th century, there's all this climatological theory where like, you know, if, if you live in a a hotter climate, like, oh, you could like become, uh, like Indian, you know, like if you went to India, you could become indian that sort of that sort of fear um in the 19th century it really does like we get into eugenic shit right and like this idea that like oh maybe like races are actually different species and shit like that so i mean she is like definitely taking on a very prominent strain of like race racist science that is um you know quite dominant i think at, at this point in history right yeah in 1902 like or three I'm just trying to think of what what sorts of the racist sciences people would be the most would have been the most obsessed with at that yeah. moment. Yeah, we're still on all the stuff that even in physical manifestations is all about your lineage. Right. Like right. tracking tracking through fam tracking through family. Yeah. Well, and the the eugenics is very much like in progress like it's still being sort of made from the from the really you know particularized from the truly weird well it's all weird um but like phrenology is happening but we haven't gotten to the sort of like u.s race science that like makes that gives the nazis all of their ideas but we're like right about to now yeah we're right in that moment yeah but they also yeah, have no right. fucking excuse for any like, well, they never have any excuse for any of this. But this is also like when the NAACP gets started. You know what I'm saying? It's just like no one has ever had a good excuse for not thinking that black people were as good at anything as anyone. But like it's all in your face in this moment. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And it does. And this book does. The, I mean, the simple fact of the the simple and horrible fact of how many the constant rape of slaves. How do you think? Where do you think all those kids came from? Like, mm-hmm. what it? You know, like, what do you just basic? It, one can intuit when you see a baby, like a baby person, that. In fact, it's it, what with nothing else to see here. The of one blood thing, it's holds true. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so, right. So one, I mean, obviously, like definitely taking on sort of like eugenics as it's forming and kind of 19th century biological racism. Uh, and and I, we see that in a few ways. I mean, one, I think like anthropology, which you get, you know, certainly through the 19th century and, uh, you know, very much after that deeply embedded in sort of in, you know, structures of colonialism and racism. Also archaeology, like, so there's the, there's um, uh, the, this expedition leader, uh, Stone, who's i think he's this english guy and he's basically like positive like what he wants to sort of discover on this expedition or like the the kind of theory he has is that basically like sort of civilization uh you know grew like grew out of like this sort of spot of of, of east africa um and and the other people in the the expedition really react like you know like how like how could that be there's this one um i think this is in yeah this is in chapter 12 uh, so he's basically recounting how, you know, sort of out of this area, we get like Babylon and we get all, you know, and, and, you know, long before like kind of Greece and Rome and the sort of like classical civilizations that are, you know, still so important to fucking fascist shitheads. Uh, but so like, so he, he recites this history and then we have this, this little exchange. It is hard to believe this is a quote, you know, someone else is talking. It, it is hard to believe your story from what a height must this people have fallen to reach the abjectness of the American Negro exclaimed a listener. True, replied the professor, but from what a depth does history show that the Anglo-Saxon has climbed to the position of the first people of the earth today? Um, that strikes me as actually like a really sort of provocative claim in the early 20th century that, you know, that, that it, uh, it, 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 one, just the idea that like, you know, that, that, which is, you know, I mean, I think well-founded at this point that civilization, like human civilization, the old world's origin point is certainly not in Europe or, or anywhere close to it. But, but also that like, that basically like, you know, undercutting anything of like, like Nordic civilization or anything like that is, as, uh, as this ideal or this, you know this this uh you know clearly sort of like like superior entity which it emerged I, yeah i mean you know that i don't like that that's not a controversial idea uh you know for for any of us but i do think that like at this moment in time like that you know that's going against some like academics and very prominent positions and what they thought about like where civilization arose right yeah there's there's so much stuff here this is a really great passage to point to also because of the because of the strong and shocking claim and also because of the of, of the way it's put repeatedly it's a it's a reality which it, which it will require a good deal of skepticism to doubt charlie is so shocked by this but what we actually have is like yeah we had this hypothesis and then um i've got um i've got a guy who gave me data that actually turns out was right like this is all like sciencey science of science, the science of mathematics and time and history, yeah, all together yeah. as one. And in fact, like, how can you even doubt it? 
And there's the Bible too, by the way, like that gets thrown into. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. Plato, right? Like there's all kinds of like, here's how he really knows this is because it was before the ancient Greeks. So like we're actually sort of like Greeks, but like not like better than them for sure. Right. Yeah. And we're now in wild Irish girl territory where it's like, <laughs> oh no, we're like, we're like Greeks, but actually we have science. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're like we're like Greeks, except um, there's no movie about us getting married with a guy from Sex and the City. <laughs> yeah, and I also like not to like sort of, you know some claim like oh like we like enlightened 21st century types. So I mean they're like uh, there I know there was a, a, a set of books that came out in the last few decades called Black Athena, which sort of posited that uh, Greek civilization sort of did come from from sort of Africa, um, and and I know a lot of classicists have kind of rejected its premise i you know i this is not my field i don't know that the sort of evidentiary claims of it but i will say the vigor and anger with which those claims are met in sort of certain classic circles indicate like regardless of what the actual evidentiary claims are the fantasy of fucking white supremacism and and greece and rome as this kind of pinnacle civilization that still is very very fucking present and not just in like a valid fascist i mean i think you see the tendrils of those sort of that racist thinking in a lot of places that would not think of them as would not think of themselves as being racist you know I just like don't know what the cool like it's very important to you to be descended from certain people who took enormous shits outside and died of awful like yeah. worm diseases that now are treatable. Like I want to be one of these people who got dysentery or like one of <laughs> yeah. these other people who got dysentery. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, like, obviously, this this is why skepticism towards any sort of fucking claim about essentialism is really important, you know, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're very quickly verging into some fucking racist bullshit. Yeah, and that's the thing is that this essentialism and, and the origin stuff go so hand in hand in so many ways. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about mesmerism and why, why Hopkins was into oh, it. Oh, yeah, like, I can't what the, wait. How, what the fuck we do to like bring that discourse into this other stuff. Can't wait. Can't wait to tell you about mesmerism. So, um, Tristan at the top, you, uh, you, you suggested that mesmerism and hypnosis were even remotely similar and they, the mesmerists <laughs> and the hypnotists were sworn enemies in, oh, in the so 18th century. They sorry. were, they were, they were, they were, they were very insistent that they were very insistent. They were not doing the same thing. Um, <laughs> But secretly, I'm fine with sort of uh, conflating the two things. So, so we have this uh, French physician Anton Mesmer, and he in the um, late 18th century uh, came up with this idea of um, of embodied influence, and it acts by animal magnetism. So that's what's it's the animal magnetism, baby. I got some animal magnetism. He seemed like a horny guy. I don't know. But it's a literal magnetic force that allows a mesmerizer to exert their will through fluids. Mm -hmm. The odic, the odic force will concentrate the will of the mesmerizer and, and could uh, sort of direct and concentrate it. And it's, again, very important. This is all via physical pathways. So they're like, this is all just stuff that happens in your body. And yeah, there was the stuff like there were the, he had these big, huge tubs that he would have 
basically parties for fancy people with like giant electrified tubs. <laughs> just get into the giant tub. <laughs> they still do versions of that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. They do versions of that. Um, I'm not going to say any of the jokes I want to because um, uh, because Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself anyway. Um. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, but so in the. In the 18th century, um, usually what's going on is like the mesmerism is a medical treatment in part. And then there's a, there's a flip that happens in the – and in the 18th century, so I'll talk about a, a little bit about the 18th, legacy of this in slavery in the 18th century, just to back up for one second. Um, in Haiti in the late 18th – in the late 18th century also, there were experiments done about uh, – on, uh, on enslaved people – to try to see whether uh, mesmerism could could heal them, could make them work more efficiently, was a big uh, was it was a Ugh, uh, something God. of major interest. They were also mesmerizing um, white people on the island too, and it, often they were women who would. Uh, get mesmerized and then just start screaming their secrets, like just running up and down the town square <laughs> screaming their secrets. Yeah. Like that guy was engaged to me and I fucked that guy. And so they put that the, sounds they put, fun. It yeah. sounded like a good time. So they put the brakes on that, but they also in part put the brakes on that because they were afraid that the enslaved Africans would become actually better at mesmerism than they were. Hmm. And that that's the real that that's the real uh, the real potential peril inherent in this. And so the mesmerism thing, like there are lots of questions about it that come up in the United States that are relevant to this. Like, can you um, hypnotize or mesmerize somebody into doing a crime in the late 18th century or late 19th century in America? It, they decided like in certain states ruled against whether uh, – uh, I think it was um, Georgia and California at minimum had laws about uh, uh, whether you could recognize hypnotic influence mm. um, or claim it as a defense. And there's a bunch of backstory to that. But in any event, the the 19th century American mesmerism, it's tied to spiritualism and all this other stuff too. But it becomes more sciencey and also the person who's being mesmerized gets recoded as a sensitive so this there's a sort of way that the the relationship gets changed so at first it's the the operator who's doing um doing these mesmeric experiments on this like prone body of the mesmerized person but then in the 19th century it's the sensitive so it's all about the relationship between the mesmerizer and the mesmerized there's this one guy who wrote an advice manual uh, about getting mesmerized and said to women like choose a mesmerist like you'd choose your husband you have to take that level of care to do it <laughs> so it makes um, it's an empath making machine it's a scheme it's an empath scheme yeah, pretty much. Yes, like exactly. Um, there's a lot of stuff too. Again, these concerns about mesmerism and race come up. Also, there were some very famous um, black mesmerists, and um, the the uh, so of course uh, there are also some incredibly racist cartoons about um, black mesmerists, particularly uh, men. Uh, black men mesmerizing white women uh, the implication being that this is like a, a nefarious tool that they might use 
to get away with um, having sex with the, the some lady in a hoop skirt. I don't even. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, also like Harry Beecher Stowe says this too, and that's where I'll end it. She said that the African racer said by mesmerists to possess in the fullest degree that peculiar temperament which fits them for the evolution of mesmeric phenomena. So she's saying this in this way that whether whether there be in a soul a yet undeveloped attribute, which is to be to the future what memory is to the past, or whether some individuals in high and perfect condition can are just extra sensitive, we don't know. But what she says basically is, all this sensitivity, which is important for the empiricism angle, um, has to do with this maybe innate capacity of people from Africa, according to Stowe, to mesmerize, to be able to to mesmerize or come under mesmeric influence. Okay, so I mean, right. So there is like kind of a deep set of like discourses and and how that connects to sort of ideas about race that Hopkins is drawing on. Um but I guess I'm I'm still like kind of sort of struggling to put that together. Like I, I feel like, you know, what the novel is doing with sort of anthropology, archaeology, race science, and what it's doing with this other kind of medical, you know, pseudo-medical discourse that also is sort of super racially inflected re- relate and link and probably are part of doing the same sort of critique. But I'm just, I guess I'm still, I don't know, like that, that, I still like feel like I have less purchase on how to read that stuff than I do um, the archaeology anthropology angle. I, I think we might be able to get to how they connect, but uh, the way at least that I draw them together a little bit is that there's this division between skeptics and believers and types of science Hmm. so there are supernatural sciences that really require you to be able to feel deeply Mm -hmm. so briggs keeps saying these things like i'm just an instrument i'm but an instrument Mm -hmm. i'm not doing miracles i'm just an instrument and there's a way that operationalizing knowledge and science and the way you organize the world Having that all be dependent on people of great feeling and great sensitivity Mm -hmm. and that those quests for data about the age of a civilization or where knowledge came from are sort of the same things you need to discover any secret. And that, Mm -hmm. in fact, a lot of knowledge that you might think of as secret or impossible knowledge is just because it's, it's just a matter of not being attuned to it or sensitive to it. Right. So there so you're like you are exploring between between worlds in a way like that drive to push to the edge. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too cuz like, you know, we we've talked a lot on the show about the sentimental novel and its sort of role in both sort of anti-slavery stuff and 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 also just kind of anti-racist stuff generally. Um and also like kind of skepticism towards that. I mean, I think you know probably of the people we've looked at, well, I mean, certain Melville for one, uh, but also like Richard Wright, famously very kind of like sort of skeptical and dismissive of that, and and like identifying sort of a you know a very racist line of thinking within that that you know that black people are like you know sort of like uniquely sort of attuned to like the emotion or like that that 
is the correct sort of discourse for thinking about that. Um, but it actually seems like Hopkins is positing something quite different, that there's an access to sort of like a, a deeper human truth and like a historical truth and an epistemic truth that comes through that. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't, I do not know, like, or think, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, well enough to speculate beyond the novel, but I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, so, I mean, maybe do you, do, do we think that maybe she's trying to recoup sort of certain ways in which like these ideas about kind of like black people and their, uh, ability for sens- sensitivity to mesmerism in a way that like, like that she's kind of trying to flip that on its head in some way and like actually use it as like sort of access to like this, this other knowledge about the kind of essentiality. Of, of, of the human that uh, kind of racists want to deny or something like that? I think that she would want to say number two, but I sort of think it is more or less number one because when you think of something like sensitive, you think about, you know, like these wild swings of emotion. But what I think part of what she's saying is that that's not all that means. It can mean the sensitivity of a finely calibrated instrument and that Mm -hmm. that's what, in fact, we all actually are together in this, you know, in the of one blood sense. Well, she's sort of throwing back to a different, you know, like medicine is professionalized in the 18th century and it's starting to become something that looks like medicine in the 19th century because of germ theory. But it's and as you say, Tristan, it's still like wacky as fuck. <laughs> but he's still a doctor, right? So this like presents with a tiny bit of a uh it's not um a paradox, but it's something where like, well, he has both the imprint of doctor and he's a magic guy who can like revive people from the dead. And then when he goes to Ethiopia, he's like the prodigal son. So he's like everything we want from from the sort of like heroic medical like the the heroic empath or something Mm -hmm. yeah 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 he's everything we and he's he's also so he's so which is what we want i guess but he's so blank like he's so blank like that's just there's this one moment where um he's standing over dianthe and uh, seeing if she's breathing and the quote is, um, the life-giving organ was still. And it's like, you really can read it as he also is not like getting a boner right now. Oh, he, that hadn't yeah. even crossed my mind. Yeah. That's great. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So I think that his his perfect fit into that and his like total blankness, but with this history that just doesn't come out, like it doesn't come out in anything we'd recognize as character. Yeah. He doesn't have d- much of one. Right, because yeah. he has he does have heroic he has like every version of heroic form. And we know form isn't character or character is form. Or like Deidre Lynch, send us an email and tell me what to think. Because I haven't read that book and I apologize. <laughs> but um I read other books in grad school. Uh that he's slot he has he's full of forms or full of types, right? So he's like doctor and like boyfriend and and the the prodigal son and like by going back to ethiopia he to some degree interrupts what we i assume as readers know in our background as plunder right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's the it's not even like really a colony so what they do instead in the 18th in the 19th and 18th centuries in ethiopia and egypt is just steal stuff they like 
go to Egypt and and like plunder and rape tombs. And so the notion here is that it's like there's a embarrassment of riches and that, you know, kingly presence in Africa would be the purpose of interrupting a particular kind of colonial impulse. So he's like the heroic uh paradigm of interrupting the colonial project the it's not the colonial project the the imperialist project yeah but also like reviving women and and like being a cute boyfriend and right. he gets to do all the things yeah and all he kills big cat is it a panther a leopard ja- jaguar it's a leopard i think right okay it is a it is a leopard it's a big boy so i like I was, I, this opens up another kind of words that uh <clears throat> i don't know how much we'll have to say about but um the uh the the boyfriend kind of angle to that like we've talked a lot right about like what incest signifies which is almost always kind of like race panic in the american context right and yeah i mean we obviously see that here with the you know the, the kind of the oh slide. i would i would say it's like that half of the time i think there's like a lot of other things well, it's yeah Sure. also about no i yeah i mean i yeah right but but I, I think like when when race and incest are kind of present in the novel that that is like often it but i will say that like the of one blood thing i think really really adds something else to what incest is because yeah. like if we yeah. accept that which is true yeah that we are all of one blood then okay well so then like what what does that mean like what, what technically what, no one's doing it yeah right like, everyone what is, is. The, what, what right. is the, what happens to the sort of incest taboo uh like sort of out of that out of that line of thinking or or is it just that that okay so like what what this sort of like signifies in terms of like american panic about sort of like you know right like miscegenation and like kind of you know crossing racial lines that that is just that that's like idiotic uh or yeah i, I don't know but it is also like yeah it's just i don't know it, it like i i did think okay so of one uh, the incest plot in a novel called of one blood that ends on that point. It just, that has to be doing something very different than it is in other novels that follow kind of this. Cause your whole brain is going of one blood is this like admittedly recognizably now liberal concept of like, no matter what somebody's race is or no matter what their like blood quantum is, which is not usually the language around black people that, we're all the sons of Jesus, right? Like that, right. or right. however people talk about the relation to Jesus. But um, so that's like one strain that mm-hmm. I think is how we're supposed to open this book looking to read. And then we go through all these little like, wait, he loves his sister who's also right. married to her brother. Right. right. And her other brother. And her other brother. And so we're like, and and I think that it's also trying to be like, Forcing us when we get to Aunt Hannah, see like, oh, well, well, one of the like cardinal sins of owning humans is that the the patriarchal lineage breaks down mm-hmm. in the sense of like genetic dispersal. So you get these like sibling relationships. And that's a very strange plot point to impose here. Yeah, for sure. It is a strange plot point to impose here. Um, there's another strange plot point that maybe we can, that ties into one other thing that you were saying, which maybe is an interesting place to end up, which is Briggs's king is like, I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. 
yeah. the of one. It is like the you know bathed in the blood of the lamb. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. The, that's the whole thing. We're all that salvation comes uh, by one, but by one blood, the blood mm-hmm. of Christ. And so, so that's a funny. Um, I don't know a funny way of reproducing something else that it, we would one might not expect to see in an ancient un- and everyone's just like very all, all yes of course immediately tell <laughs> yeah. us all about all yeah. about this guy we too love jesus to. yeah yeah i, I love jc yeah yeah so shall we move from jesus to a game i feel ambivalent about that unless it's a game <laughs> at the expense of just i don't want to make fun of jesus i don't know you tell us jesus was a nice guy i think um no problems with him uh in particular um uh but okay so anyway mesmerism if we could mesmerize today uh oh wait we are mesmerizing today but the cia is doing it and congratulations you have been brought in to the revamped mk ultra program mk ultra ultra to mesmerize to be the to be the mesmerizers. And what I'd like to find out is um, what kind of mesmerist are you? So let's, so, you know, we're literary folk here. These answers will be in a literary tradition um, and they'll, they will reveal as much about you as any of these Buzzfeed (laughs) quizzes ever has. So the question one, your CIA overlords have asked you what sort of equipment you need. Your options are A, just a gorgeous sailor in my own two hands. <laughs> uh, what? Sorry. <laughs> B, a tub of electricity with 62 naked Parisians in powdered wigs. Mm. Or C, an account of the sins of their fathers. That's the equipment you need. I'm talking real nasty shit like parking tickets or doing time theft at work by staring at their misshapen coworkers that type of <laughs> that type of stuff. Hey. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean I think as the as the uh, the 18th century as to the on the uh, across the Atlantic I have to do the 62 naked French people in, in powdered wigs with the the oh tub of electricity or I feel that you have no choice to... except for the stink factor. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be smelly, yeah. I thought nothing could surprise me after this novel, and I'm so I'm blown away um, <laughs> that nobody uh, picked um, your third one. Now I'm trying to remember what it was because my brain. Oh is- no, I just I just thought everybody was going to pick A. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you. My, yeah. Well, I was just, um, also my 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 son my my son is uh, has gotten for some reason really into get smart. So each one I was like, is is the cone of silence going to be an option? That's <laughs> really cute. <laughs> I want the cone of silence, Chief. Oh Max. So do I. I want to live in the cone of silence. Uh, this this is going to tell you a lot in a short amount of time. Efficiently, um, how do you interact with your mesmeric subject? A, nervously, with the furtive guilt of one who has committed a grave sin, like murder or (laughs) or sharding. (laughs) Um, B, confidently, with alpha body posture and soylent-fueled physique that would mesmerize anyone. Or C, scientifically, with an air of distraction that fails to conceal your enormous boner for cult practices <laughs> when you knock over immortality salts and bubbling beakers with it. 
<laughs> so we, we're going to be nervous, confident, or scientific in our approach to the mesmeric subject. I think I'm going to be soy boy and and have false con- have false confidence and squared shoulders. Yeah. That's a good one. I also that that you know bossing around sixty two French people sounds, but but I but I I think I don't know. I think feel like I got to go like full kind of anthropology with this like you know as you know uh, observer participant or whatever they're not participant. Uh, I'll I'll go with C. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yet again. Um. Okay. So um. What is the uh, MK Ultra trigger word you suggest? Uh, you select. Um, it's going to be boats. A, B butts or C Bibles. <laughs> I mean, I feel like all three of us have our word already picked out. I know right? that's. Could you call this podcast boats, boats butts, butts, and Bibles? And Bibles. <laughs> yeah, you could. It wouldn't be I wrong. I think that's what the show is called. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, I'm Bible, so uh, bo- bo- <laughs> definitely <laughs> boats. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, I- duh. Oh, I got the short end of the stick, but at least I'll be in heaven enjoying it. Or in hell with Jonathan Edwards being skinny as fuck. Yeah, skinny legend, fun. Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> skinny legend, indeed. Okay, so uh, Tristan, you're going boats. Um, Megan, you're going butts, of course. Um, Okay, so in a in a twist, the uh, you're both Melville style mesmerists. Okay. Tristan, you barely eked this out, um, with but but you got there, but you got there, uh, with with the um, it was the the boats, of course, that um put you that put you over the top, yeah, uh. But what, Meg, what was I in danger of if it wasn't the, the Melville style? <laughs> you almost uh, got to be a Hawthorne style mesmerist. Uh, no, that would have been fine. Yeah, not so bad. There were, yeah, there were no bad choices. I've put you through so much, um, and I, uh, I just, <laughs> I sometimes, um, you know, I think we all need, we all need our our treats and. Um, so you get to be Melville. Congratulations to both of you. Hugest congratulations. What bigger congratulations yeah, could I offer? Yeah, I can no. think of none. They're all the finest of congratulations. Speaking <laughs> of angry novelists. Yeah. Angry <laughs> in, the best. In, the, in the best way, though. Oh, yeah. I don't even know if I would say Pauline Hopkins is an angry novelist, but this has some feelings it has a, yeah. it has emotions this is one of the craziest novels that we've read on this show but it was great i really yeah i really weird. enjoyed it and uh yeah i mean, knew nothing about pauline hopkins and I'm, I'm glad i read it and i can recommend it to every single person listening it's not very long and also you would be like is this really a book yeah <laughs> yeah it's so good it's so good uh anyway this has been Better Than Dead, you can find me on Twitter at Tussersaurus. You can find Tristan at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod. And email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you have opinions about your own mesmerism chops. We'd like to know more. Our intro music is Lev Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, interview, and subscribe 
Next week, we have Lauren Michelle Jackson on to talk about George Schuyler's Black No More. And then we have our two-parter for this season on Lolita. So thank you, comrades. Bye.